Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Les Bellman. So Les is a world-renowned speed coach and he has worked over the last 10 years with Olympians, NFL and NCAA athletes. Most notably, in the last three years, he's trained 28 NFL draft picks, which makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can improve your speed and improve your sporting performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Les onto the show. So Les, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. And if you haven't heard my voice, this is not me going through puberty. This is a, this is a little <laughs> sickness. <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, yeah, making the extra effort to join us as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Oh wow, that's uh, it's hard for me to do that quickly, but uh, but yeah, but then so do it slowly. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go quick. Um, obviously, I'm I'm a coach. Um, I also have a business that we're we're developing systems to help scale coaching and scale um, speed training across basically across the world. Um, but essentially, my story: I broke my femur when I was 17, couldn't walk, and I definitely couldn't run. And the obsession of me trying to figure out how to walk and run led me into running track eventually and basically taught myself how to walk, how to run, how to rehab myself back to um, being an athlete. I get into college and, you know, kind of expecting the college coach to just take me to the Olympics, like thinking that's like the next logical step, thinking that the college system is like the system where you prepare and, and learn and grow. And if you know anything about college track and field, it, that's not the reality. So I kind of plateaued throughout college and just tried to find knowledge on uh, coaching and everything was kind of track and field based and, and everything was like event specific. There wasn't any way for me to really go and just identify like, this is how I get faster. And I just felt like there was a huge gap in the market for that. So when I entered the industry, my, my uh, biggest weakness became like my biggest area of focus. Uh, and that's, that's speed training and really speed training for non-track and field athletes. So thinking about like team sports, um, I got pretty lucky early on, got into the Olympic program, working with USA rugby um, and which was an incredible experience. It was the first time in the Olympics and it just taught me a lot about team sports and just the dynamics of like building for an Olympic sport, um, but didn't make any money. So then I got into the NFL space and kind of built up, you know, I had one guy, then I had two guys, then I had 20, then I had 50. And now, like, we've put over 100 guys in the NFL. And we, we have the most top three picks out of probably anybody right now the past couple of years. So um, that's the long and short of it. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty impressive uh, pretty impressive journey, right, to, to be self-taught and to, to go all the way through to, yeah, having so many talented athletes that, you, that you're working with uh, at the top level. Um, obviously, you, you've helped a lot of athletes get to that stage. So why, why is speed important for, especially for young athletes, right? Because you're talking about people getting drafted. They're not like 30, 40 years old. They're, they're young athletes coming through, making their way in, in that life, in that system. So why is speed so important for those young athletes? Yeah, um, well, just to like make it practical and simple. Like if I were to join the water polo team today and I didn't know how to swim, the first thing that they would teach me is like, okay, well, you got to swim. You got to learn how to tread water. You got to learn how to swim because that's the basis of the sport. And if you look at all 
field sports, even court sports, like running locomotion is the basis of the sport. Like it's not just something secondary that you have or you don't have. It's something that has to be developed. And especially in the U.S., I don't know how it is in other countries, but you kind of get put into a box like you're either fast or you're not. And if you're not, you're kind of just like, well, you'll never be. So you should develop other qualities. And um, through my injury and through my process, I kind of looked at that. and was like, I don't know if that's true. And I just kind of sought out to investigate it. And well, we know it's not true. But the biggest thing that most people miss is exposure to speeds. So a lot of athletes, as you grow up and you go through your stages, like there's a certain stage where you'll be exposed to the weight room. There's a certain stage where you'll be exposed to different levels of plyometrics and things like that. But not every athlete is exposed to the right type of training to get faster. And what I sought out to look at is like, number one, I think it's really easy. Um, and number two, I, I think it's underdeveloped. And if you were just to walk into a, I do this all the time, actually, if you're walking to a middle school or high school and you're like, how many of you guys have ran max effort in the past like 100 days or a year or two years? And they like think about it and they think they, think they have like here and there, but they haven't actually like set out to like, hey, I'm going to, we like outside of my sport, outside of whatever, I'm going to run as fast as I can and just see where I'm at. Um, not a lot of kids do that in their developing years and the ones that do tend to develop a little bit faster at that quality and it's really just that you know people who have more exposure to it tend to do better at it so i think the problem that we're trying to solve and trying to fix is like how do you how do you get those exposures for youth athletes on on the developmental windows and and some of the trainable times for them and that's what we've set out to do so that's the general answer but yeah Absolutely excellent. No, I think it's, it's super interesting. I want to touch on one of the things you mentioned there, and that's the like the the physical side of it. So, what kind of what kind of characteristics are, are necessary physically to produce speed at the highest level? So, obviously, you, you mentioned plyometrics, for example, and and you've got a sprint, but physically, in in terms of underpinning physiology, for example, what 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 is necessary? Yeah. So, like going back to like the the general and the macro first, like to run to run fast like we have to define what fast is so like for and that's something we've actually set out to do is like per age group and we, we have something called universal speed rating where athletes can see like per age group what's fast um and which is important because it's, it, it's good to know like you could be fast against the kids in your school but are you fast against other competition so the outcome that we're looking at in, in speed and the quality that we look for the number one quality is how fast you what's your speed meters per second miles per hour whatever split times whatever it is the second most important thing you're looking at are what are the drivers that drive that speed and typically for me those are physical qualities so you have to be able to produce um, high amounts of force per unit of body weight so you have to be able to attack with vertical force you have to be able to push with horizontal force uh, you have to have power, you have to have elasticity, you have to have a combination of things. Now, what the thing that we've looked at is that there are some general things that everybody needs. Everybody needs to get stronger. But at a certain point, the transfer from strength to speed drops off. Everyone needs to get more powerful, but at a certain point, the transfer drops off. So the truth is, and this is the hardest truth for a lot of people, is that everybody's going to have different combinations of these things in terms of what makes them fast. And that's what they need to investigate and find out. Now, I'll give you an example. Usain Bolt 
He's six foot five, long femurs, huge, like, like just an incredible lower body, um, short lower body. Like he's, he just has like this frame that's non-specific to most track and field athletes. And his training looks different. Like if he were to just dump in that, that bucket of max strength and dump in that bucket of getting stronger and bigger, like we don't know if that would transfer. So his training looked a little bit different. And it's the same thing um, for Christian Coleman. So if Christian were to do the same training as Usain Bolt, and he's got this crazy frequency that's extremely force-based and extremely powerful, like if you were to switch that into the Usain Bolt model, you might have something different. And that leads to the third part of the pyramid that we look at, the strategies. So what strategies do athletes apply to run fast? So do you have this? huge front swing that swings down and smacks the ground, hits the ground really hard and pushes your body forward, or you have this massive backswing. Now there is an optimal for all these things. Like there's an optimal uh, strategy to run fast. There's optimal drivers to run fast and there's optimal outcomes. And your goal in training is really to identify what that looks like. And my theory is that most people just don't do the main thing. Most people don't know where what their goal is, like how fast are they? And then from there, just kind of dive into, do I need to, do I need to create more um, in that force bucket? Do I need to create more in the power bucket? Do I need to create more in the elasticity bucket? Do I need to work on my ankle? Do I need to work on my hip? Like, those are all drivers. And like I guess, like, we could go all day on what specific things, but everybody's built a little bit different. And the same on the strategy. Now, there's an optimal, but not every single person's plan is going to look exactly the same. And when you mention the the different strategies and obviously that builds into a kind of technical model potentially per person um what are what are the common denominators of a, a technical model for sprinting because there's some things which are going to be quite similar for a lot of people and some things that you might want to change depending on that person whether they're force dominant or maybe elastic or big or small or whatever it might be um but what what are the the general things which remain true for sprinting when it comes to to technique yeah so the fastest people typically hit the ground really hard. And when they hit the ground, they push themselves forward and they're not on the ground very long. Um, that's, that's the basis. Like it's, if we just look at the model of sprinting, it's the person who can typically apply large, large amounts of force in the shortest time frame. So if we look at impulse, like it's high force, low, low time frame. Um, and that creates the horizontal velocity. There's different ways to get there. So some people have this huge wind up that then smacks the ground. Some people have a shorter wind up that smacks the ground. Um, but from a technical model, typically look at the range of motion between the between the knees at toe off, or like the max range of motion between the thighs. Um, this is something Ken Clark has looked at for an incredible amount of time. But we look at 100 to 105 degrees of range of motion which is typically a little bit different than what people originally thought. Like when I was running track, I thought it was 90. I thought it was like this perfect H where I got to create a 90 degree front side in the back and no backside. And, and that's, not, that's not the reality. The reality is you need to have a pretty solid extension strategy to be able to pro, pro, you know, propel yourself forward. So you need to have that, that backside. And the front side, typically, my max velocity is somewhere between 72 and 78 degrees front side. So you end up having about 30 backside. So the important part here is that you need to create a big range, a huge range. 
Now, the second most important thing is that that range needs to close really, really, really fast. So if I create this 102, 103 degrees, whatever, <coughs> excuse me, I create that range, that range has to swing down and close really fast to create this massive impact on the ground. So what I see a lot of times, especially youth athletes, is they create a good range, but they can't close it. So they end up reaching or casting out in front, and they land way out in front of their body, create this massive break. So I need to create, we call it retraction. We need to retract that leg back towards the ground. Now, as I'm retracting towards the ground, the most important thing here is stiffness. So think about a boxer. If I have a limp wrist and I go to punch somebody, I'm going to probably break my wrist or not create a high impact. Like I'm producing four to five times my body weight through my, through my wrist. And if it's not stiff, that, that power that I transferred from the ground into my hand doesn't transfer into the guy's draw and I don't knock him out. So I need stiffness. It's the same thing in, uh, in sprinting. I have to create a stiff, stiff, stiff ankle, foot, calf complex. Like, so when I hit the ground, it, it's, it's able to react and I don't compress on contact. So as I come towards the ground, create that stiffness before when I'm on the ground, our number one goal is get off the ground, but not until, not until, um, we've actually created propulsion. So what a lot of athletes do, you'll see is they'll hit the ground and they'll actively try to recover their leg. And what we're trying to look at here and something that I've had to uncoach myself and teach and uncoach in other people is allowing that extension to happen. Now it's not at max velocity. It's not going to be this triple extension or anything like that. Now it'll happen maybe for one step in acceleration, especially in the beginning, but you're not going to see this massive, 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 um, extension at max velocity, but we do need to let it happen. And then the last part of this entire cycle is how you recover that thigh. So once I get to toe off at max velocity or toe off at acceleration, it needs to be a hip dominant, a hip dominant move. It can't be, it can't be um, knee dominant. So a lot of athletes will leave the ground, they'll bend their knee and they'll have this massive backswing. What we're looking for is once we get to toe off, the hip takes over and recovers that thigh back to the top. So it's that is the same model for everybody. Everybody needs to create big ranges, close them really fast, hit the ground with a stiff angle, propel themselves forward and recover the thigh. It's just gonna look different for everyone. Because if I have if I'm six foot seven, my my wind up's gonna be a little bit bigger. But if I'm five two, my wind up's gonna be a lot more powerful front side. So it's just uh, you're gonna you're gonna end up going driving yourself crazy if you try to fit everybody into the same box of how it looks. But we're moving everyone towards the same direction. Everybody's moving in that direction, regardless of how they look currently. So, I think it's a, a really interesting insight into the things that some people can do potentially similarly, and some people could do differently. So, when it comes to to actually training. What kind of training should young athletes then be doing? Because obviously, yeah, it's not as simple as just saying, right, okay, this is your technical model, go and do that. Um, you need to be able to actually translate that into some, some training, either some training drills or some training methodologies, training principles. So what should young athletes be doing to improve their speed? Yeah. So I would say in the, in the early stages, like what's the fine young real quick? So like, like, um, I would say probably like 11 to 16, like the number one focus is exposure. 
So if you do nothing else but go out and once a week hit high speeds, you're going to get faster in that window. And you're going to get significantly faster in the beginning of that of that um, exposure. And then it'll probably trail off a little bit. Um, as you get into older ages, let's say like 16 to 18, you're going to have to apply a little bit more of the strategies around how to apply more force, whether that's horizontally with resisted loads or if you're looking at vertically with uh, weight room exercises. And then as we get past that stage, 18, 21, around that age, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific on producing that force fast and being powerful and being elastic. You can start adding load. When I see guys like the 22 and we're getting ready for the first round of the NFL draft, then we start doing a little bit more technical. That's literally it. So I, what I would do is I would look at it in just terms of percentages. Like in that first age group, what percentage is physical versus technical? I'll probably see 80, 20. Then as I get a little bit older, maybe it's like 70, 30, or 60, 40. Then it's like 50, 50. And then it probably won't ever get below that. So what I'm looking at here is like, what do I actually do technically? Like, do I sit there and explain the athletes' wheel where they have this big range of motion and they smack the ground, it, it's stiff, they move forward, they recover? No, I don't do that. We just build drills that are, they consistently do in warm-ups that then they translate into the session. Now, once the session starts, I don't coach. Like, I will say, like, <clears throat> maybe one or two things for high-level athletes, but we're running fast, we're running fast. If I haven't cued you in the warm-up, it's not going to show up. So I try to overload a quality in the warm-up that I want to show up in the session. Now, I'll give you an example. If I want to overload the distance between the knees, so that range of motion, I might do bounding or I might do lunges for, so they feel that range. So I'm doing something to overload and highlight that range that I'm trying to develop in the session. And if it doesn't show up in the session, I didn't do a really good job first block of time. Um, so I spend like 15 minutes and I just do, I do drills, everything. I mean, there's, there's nothing new. <clears throat> I've borrowed everything. A series, vertical series, um, harness drills, like waist for shoulder harness, for acceleration, dribbles for max velocity. There's only like, I, I could send you my whole drill list. It's eight, it's like eight or nine things. It's not a lot. It's just the combination, the intensities and how fast you go through it and what you say is important. So I might do the same drill. 10 different ways. So I might well, dribble with your hands and your hips or overhead or with the dowel in front of you or dowel on your hip. Or I want you to do it barefoot or I want you to do it extensively or I want you to do it intensively. Like you could switch the drill up into several different ways, but it's not complex. And the more complex you make it, the less retention that they'll have. Like you want it to be simple and easy for them to be like, you know what? Like I understand what coach is saying. And if you don't know, just don't say anything at all. Just have them go through it, and they'll get better through the reps. Um, so, yeah, I think part of this and the, the disclaimer of this conversation is that there's there's a business model around coaching speed that is, you have to be aware of, that people will make things seem out of touch, out of reach, and complex so that you have to bring an expert in to do it. And that's not the reality. I always tell, like in football, I always tell, head coaches that they are the speed coach because what they do in practice will have more of an effect on their speed than what I do in my hour once a week. And that's the reality of it, you know? So I think everybody needs to have, if you, if you have, if you're a coach, if you're involved in a team sport, you have to understand what speed is. You have to understand what, what prevents you from running faster and what helps you to run faster. 
And if you have a general understanding of that, you can make athletes and teams faster. And just very quickly, can you give us a, a quick rundown of what those factors are? So just like a, a whistle-stop Cliff Notes version of like what will make people faster and what will make people slower. Yeah. Uh, first thing, uh, and if you're listening, you're probably like, he keeps saying this, run fast. <laughs> uh, and with a big rest. <laughs> so like run as fast as you can um, and rest. Second second thing that I think has the highest transfer to, to running fast is resisted sprinting. <clears throat> and targeted resisted running. And like, this could be a whole separate podcast. Um, you could use percent body mass. You could use percent velocity decrement. You could use um, different cutoffs. Like the point is you want to do something that's heavy, which is going to help stimulate the early part of your acceleration. You want to do something that's medium heavy. So that will stimulate weight acceleration. Something that's light, which is super late acceler acceleration. And by acceleration, I mean just anything building up to top speed. So, yes, you can accelerate in the last 10 yards of your 40. It, you're accelerating the whole time. Like, you're still building speed. So you always want to think about – there's no point where you're holding speed if you're in a team sport. Like, maybe if you have – if you're Bucky Irving and you break for 96 yards against Utah or something. I don't know. But most of the, most of the work you're doing is gaining velocity. So the late acceleration piece will be light. And then if you want to improve velocity, sprint, like full speed. Um, I, don't, I don't believe in like downhill running. Don't do a lot of assisted or over speed. That, that doesn't mean we don't, but I don't do a lot of it. Um, the next most important thing, so that's tier two, tier three, would be specific um, jumping, hopping, bounding, and plyos. And I'll separate those jumping, double leg, uh, hopping, single leg, bounding, one leg to the other. And plyos, anything with a ground contact, that's a very short, so within 10. Um, so I separate those out, and I build um, multidirectional and linear. Like I, I don't believe that everything should be specific from a, a plyo standpoint or jumping standpoint. So we do, we do different multidirectional. Um, fourth, fourth most important thing is a good weight room program. So having, like, you, know, you know, if you're doing VBT, like, in those ranges that are that are very well um like you're you're working the max strength ranges and then you're working towards you know one meter per second for the velocity ranges so you're surfing the curve surfing the force velocity curve um to develop power so you're developing power at both ends you're developing power on the force end you're developing power on the velocity end which is the same concept of resisted running you're developing power at both ends um yeah and i think if you do that and you never said anything technical, athletes will get faster. And then if you layer on some technical cueing within that, that's specific, and there's a lot of <clears throat> really good people out there to learn from. Um, like if you look at Stu McMillan and Altus, if you look at um, what Jonas is doing, if you look like there's so many people. Bobby Stroop has some really interesting stuff. Kula has some really cool stuff. Like there's a lot of people that give a lot of free stuff I steal from every day. Um, if you layer on 10% of that, you're going to be probably in the top 1% of speed coaching in the world. So I think some, that's some great advice. <laughs> yeah. and, but you, you mentioned things that will make you slower as well. So what, what's going to make you slower if you're like a head coach, for example, and you said the stuff that they do on the pitch is going to make the, the difference there. What, what kind of stuff is going to make people then reduce their speed? 
Yeah, tons of volume. And and obviously volume needs to be met. And if you look at like how like Premier League teams practice or NFL teams practice, like they're typically working their weeks off of a game volume. Um, so like if you have a single game and there's 10,000 meters in that game, they might work off of um, a low volume, like 120% up to 250% of that game volume throughout the week. And the days are split with no day really being more than like 70, 80% of that game in terms of volume. Now, what I see in, in American sports, I, don't, I can't speak for other places, but you take youth soccer, for example, and coaches are very, very, very big on um, technical coaching. So like when it comes to playing the sport and they separate the technical coaching from anything physical. So there's a lot of this low level, high volume, slow running. Now, obviously, you need to cover your game volumes. But the thing that I didn't mention is that within that 10,000 meters in a game, the intensities that are reached, the speeds that are reached are much higher. So what happens is, is coaches do a lot of this technical work. Um, the game is high, high speeds. They look like they're unfit, but they're just not able to, to sustain those high power, repeat power, repeat speed exposures. So they're like, okay, well, let's add on a layer of fitness on top of our technical training session because we're not fit. So we're going to do a ton of aerobic volume or you need to wake up and run six miles because the game is six miles or seven miles. So you have this consistent wheel of athletes doing low-level technical work and then adding on this high-level aerobic work. And then the game shows up and it's his high-speed work. And there's this mismatched um, intensity that's happening. So there's, they're peaking in intensity in the game. They're trying to recover and then doing a lot of aerobic work during the week to try to get in shape. And so the truth is that, that coaches need to understand they can bleed in intensity into their technical work and they can bleed in intensity and speed into their work. If you were just to take a sheet of all your drills, let's say you had 20 drills that you use, you take a, a green marker, a yellow marker, and a red marker. And every, you basically take every drill that's fast. You highlight and you take every drill that's like extensive and you put yellow and so green would be fast yellow would be like more extensive and every drill that's like start stop excel decel you put it in red all right and then you might have like a black marker that's just low level 10 and it's black because you're just deleting it because i don't like it <laughs> you, just take, you just take you just take the that's aggressive but yeah, you got to have some of those in there. But basically, you take your sheet and you look at, how do I want to practice? If I want a fast day, let's do some green drills. For an extensive day, let's do some yellow. And you start to stack it. So you make the hard days hard. And the hard means intensity. So it's going to feel harder if you do intensity work. They're going to be sore. They're going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And those recovery, or I don't know, wouldn't call it a recovery day, but like those yellow days are extensive, so you can cover the distances you need to cover for a game. And the red days are excel, start, stop. And I, I would guarantee what fatigues most of the players is not the volume side of the game. Like, I think a lot of players can run six, seven miles if they build up to it. The hard part is covering the intensity parts. And if I break the intensity into three buckets, so I have like a metabolic intensity, which is like the distance covered. I feel like athletes, especially in the U.S., are pretty good at that the middle of that uh, pyramid the second thing would be a neuromuscular intensity so it'd be high speed running and the top of that pyramid would be mechanical it's like excel decel 
And if you cover the bases of what actually happens in a game throughout your practice weeks and overload those qualities, you're going to play faster. And that's what a lot of people miss when they're, when they're planning their sessions is that they've missed the intensity moments and they've missed the, uh, the preparation for those. So I'm not saying like oh, all ACL injuries are caused by this, but I'd argue the intensity of decelerations during training is a lot different than intensity of decelerations during a game. And if you stack that over a couple of years, you're looking at every single girl being at risk for injury, right? That I mean, at risk doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but for every single boy in that system being at risk. Um, so how do you mitigate it? You, you add on the vaccination. The vaccination also leads to performance, also leads to you playing faster. So, sorry, that was a no, that's, that's a really interesting summary. I, I definitely want to, don't want to interrupt you in the middle of that because it's just fantastic <laughs> stuff. When when you bring all of this together, though, obviously you've got to you've got to make someone faster. Um, can you walk us through a case study as to, to how you go about doing that? Because we've covered obviously everything from why it's important through to physical, technical, and how to avoid some of the mistakes that people will make. But how do you go about doing it? Then? Yeah, um, I'll give you two examples. So one, I'll use Brandon Ayuk. Um, and his preparation for this season. So uh, he's got an incredible staff there. Awesome. Like, blessed. Like, it, it's insane. At the Niners, they're so good. Uh, but a bit, basically what we did is we know that there's two main periods for football that really count. It's spring for, like, OTAs, spring for college, and camp. Because those are the two things that if you do really well, you tend to have, like, a pretty good season. If you don't have a good camp, it's going to be really hard in season. Um, if you don't have a good spring, it's going to not, you're not going to build momentum. There's two periods that precede those. So there's winter that precedes spring. There's summer that precedes camp. Now, winter and summer are non-football specific. So there's no footballs, there's no pads, there's no contact. Spring and camp, there are. So my job in the NFL working with athletes is those two periods away from football. And what happens a lot of times in this industry is that coaches come in that you know want to be in the NFL space and they they come into that winter and spring winter and summertime and they want to do combine training, like get athletes faster, get them stronger. Uh they judge themselves on their one rep maxes, they judge themselves on their max velocities and they send them off to camp and then an Achilles happens or knee happens or something happens and they're like i prepared this guy what they do to him and they blame the, the strength coach but the strength coach only has jurisdiction over what happens inside the building which is football based so it's really on the job of people like me that you know they come in and they help to figure out how to bridge that gap to make it a, a seamless transition so all that to say we start with what does a game volume look like for our youth last year basically the second thing we look at is what do we want it to be so do we want to increase that do we want to decrease that we want to go for 1200 to 1500 yards that means you're going to have to do x amount of snaps per game because typically per snap you get x amount of yards and you get x amount of catches and boom 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 and you work backwards like that so we had that we knew that right and then we also knew kind of what the the camp in the, the spring volumes will look like and when we looked at all that, I, we had a conversation that was like, hmm, I don't know if we have time to just 
work on getting faster. Like, yeah, we're going to get faster. We're going to work on acceleration. We're going to work on max velocity. We're going to work mechanical stuff. But the biggest gap in this is intensities of the game. So the number of accelerations, the decelerations, the high speed distance, the, all the things that I gave you in that pyramid, um, you know, metabolic, um, neuromuscular, and mechanical. Well, that's a bigger gap. And if we can cover that stuff and we can transition smoothly into spring, you're going to have a great spring. You're going to build momentum. And then when you come back in the summer, if we transition into camp, then you're going to have a good season, a good camp, and then a good season. I don't know if I'm right, but let's try it out. So the work that we did was a lot more general at first in terms of building the volumes. And then as we got closer, the, the, it got more specific. So the speed work wasn't just like, hey, run as fast as you can. It's like, we're going to do this amount of routes, this much time, and you're going to run as fast as you can. Because you're not just running linear, hard accelerations every single play. You're, you're running with a, a D cell or two D cells or change of direction, or there's some type of reaction component in there. And this is what the yardage looks like. So if we can cover those bases, obviously, like we're not doing contact. Like I can't just like bang them up the whole winter and summer, but you know, we expect that they can transition well because they're, they're good football players. There's, there's, that's a whole other, the context, that's the whole other story, but um, that's what we did. The second thing, is University of Arizona kind of the same same idea like but it's 120 players so it's not just one player but here's what here's what game a game looks like that's successful for these amount of players to each position um then you work backwards here's typically camp volumes here's typically spring volumes look at winter look at summer how do we build into that there's times that we can overload high speed there's times we can overload excel decel there's times we can overload distance we need to pick and choose when and where and how and then obviously the next piece that a lot of people haven't really thought of because if you're sitting in my seat and working in the nfl as an outsider you don't do anything with it with the team you just kind of drop them off and then like drop your kid off at camp and then pick them up after camp how was camp like but in this scenario i'm working with arizona like the whole year so like all right well how do we apply this to in-season periods so like spring is in-season camp is kind of in-season the season's in-season like those are football times so how do we apply like can we apply the same methodology can we can we take the drill sheet and say these drills are high speed drills these drills are excel drills whatever and can we overload qualities in preparation for certain games if you know a game is coming up and it's an away game and it's homecoming and it's night and it's three hours ahead, and it's rowdy, and you know it's going to be fast, you know they're going to run outside, you know they're going to run up the middle, can you prepare for that in training? And that's where it starts to get really, 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 there's layers to it in terms of complexity that you can go to, but you, you can get further layers down into, we're going to use the physical preparation to drive a win. And I think there's a correlation between that. And there was, those were the two case studies that I had this year that were like, I wonder if IU can get 1,200. I think he's got 11. I think he's got 1,100 right now. So we're, get, we're getting there. <laughs> um, Excellent. But yeah, yeah. 
I think it's a, a really interesting insight to see how that all comes together as well. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. But before we wrap up and uh, and finish off, where can people find a little bit more about you and what you're doing? Because obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of people who uh, who sit there listening and they're like, oh, okay, how do I get some more information on this? Thing? Yeah. Uh, well, well, first, Brandon Ayuk has 1,090 yards. So we're 1,090. Yeah, 110 away from being correct on this theory. Um, but and how long has he got left? Time... I'm, I'm not in that world. So how, what, oh, what's he, what's he got to do to get there? Oh, just probably play two more games, one more game. Yeah, they got they got a lot of games left. They got over a month left. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Twitter Les Seven Spellman, Instagram Les Seven Spellman, um, UniversalSpeedRating dot com. If you're like a youth coach or you want to become a speed lab, um, SpellmanPerformance dot com. If you just want to get some free information, but yeah. Uh, hit me, DM me. I respond to every single DM. Maybe not on time, but I respond. To every <laughs> single DM. You got to take every some time for yourself DM. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Fantastic! So, massive thanks for your time and effort. It's been a pleasure, um, and I look forward to speaking again sometime soon. Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Les for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and want to get your hands on some more great sports science information, all you have to do is hit the link in the show notes and you can get into the Coach Academy completely free for the next seven days. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to recommend it to a coach, a colleague, an athlete or a friend, it means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, I'm Matt Solomon with Sound Support, and I'll speak to you next week.